And one of them is that you do not post on Facebook pictures of the gourmet meals that you're eating. All right? Now, because I'm a person of character, I'm not going to mention anybody's name, Tyler Ashworth. I'm just saying, you're killing me. I was gnawing on my iPad this week, gnawing, gnawing on it, gnawing on it. So if you're, if you're new to fasting, just, just pick one thing, right? You might say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fast desserts. If, if you've got kids, right, your kids shouldn't be doing food fast because that's not healthy for them, but they can fast candy, right? They can fast soda. They, they can maybe fast video games for a certain amount of time. We, we, we want you to discover this idea of feeling sacrifice, which is part of what fasting is about, which is, again, we're going to get into it in a few weeks because it's, it's part of you learning how to be in control of your appetite, That was a perfect song we sang tonight, We Want More. I thought that's a great song for fasting because that's how I feel right now, right? And and part of fasting is to learn how to want more of the right things, right things. So fasting is a part of of self-dominance, about self-governance, about self-control. And so so, so if you've you've never fasted, just pick one thing. Just introduce yourself to this idea. The only rule for fasting is to just cross the threshold of sacrifice. It should feel, it should feel sacrificial to you. So, okay, all right, that's enough about fasting. Let's do this one, reading through the Bible in a year, and then I have a word that I felt like God gave to me that I want to share, and then we'll get into tonight's message uh, a little bit. So we pick a reading plan every year as a church, and the one that we've picked for this year is just the straight up from beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation. Uh, You know, sometimes we might do the one where it's an uh, Old Testament verse and a New Testament verse, and then sometimes, you know, there's a Psalm and a Proverb. There's all kinds of different reading plans, And, and it doesn't mean that you've got to do the one that we're doing. We're just saying pick one and be faithful to it. Does that make sense? So like last year, I didn't do the one the church did. I felt like I was supposed to read through the New Testament in a year. And so there might be times where God speaks to you about doing a different plan, but pick a plan. And when you pick a plan, if you've never read through the Bible in a year, I just, I just want to let you know one thing that's going to happen to you is you're going to have days where you don't read. I know. Imagine that, right? You're going to have days where you don't feel like reading. You're, you're, a couple of days might go by where you've not read. And what will happen is you will believe the lie that you've got to give up because because you've got to catch up. And what we're saying is that's not true. That's not true. God would rather you not catch up and pick up from that day forward than just say, I'm going to wait until next year to start again, right? Now, if you say that in December, that's not that big of a deal. But if you come to that conclusion in March, you're tracking with me, then you're going to give this whole rest of this year, you give yourself a false sense of permission to not read. You You don't have to catch up. You've got to trust in the providence of God He knew the days that you weren't going to read, and what he has waiting for you in that day, you pick up on that day and move forward, and then make a commitment that you're going to go farther than you did from the last time you stopped. So if you made it a week without stopping last time, then your goal now is to make it a week and a day before you stop again, right? There's grace for you throughout the year that that by the end of the year that you want to have been, to be characterized by someone who's read the Bible, it doesn't mean that you've been perfect at finishing the plan. All right. Thank you, honey. It is good. All right, so this is, I was reading, I'm doing the, the one from beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation this year, and 
As I was reading this week, I was, I was in Genesis 26, and I felt like God spoke something to me, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share it with you tonight, and then, I, then I'm, then I'm going to get into the message a little bit, and then I think at the end of the service, uh, if there's time, I think there will be. We're going to come back and pray into this some more, but we're going to pray into it in just a minute, too. I, I, I want to give a, a clarification, too, because what, what I'm about to share with you is a conversation that I have. It's probably one of the most common conversations that I have with people that are visiting the church, that are coming from other churches, and I've had this conversation with some families recently. I don't know if you're here tonight, but I'm sharing this as a clarification because I don't want you to think I'm coming at you sideways or trying to manipulate you in any way. I don't even know if this word is for you. That's for you to decide. Fair enough? So I'm just, I'm just sharing it with you as God gave it to me. So this is Genesis 26. I'm going to start reading in verse 16. It says, finally, Abimelech, who was a, a Philistine king, ordered Isaac to leave the country. Now, Abraham, this is Abraham's son, Isaac. He's, he's carrying on the covenant relationship with God. And, it, and, and, and so he is prospering under this covenant relationship with God. And so this Philistine king feels threatened by him and says, I want you to go far away from me. So go somewhere else, he said. You have become too powerful for us. So Isaac moved away to the Gerar Valley where he set up their tents and settled down. He reopened the wells his father had dug, which the Philistines had filled in after Abraham's death. Isaac also restored the names that Abraham had given them. This was a practice in these ancient times. They would name the well, which we're going to see. There's some naming that comes in just a minute. Isaac's servants also dug in the Gerar Valley and discovered a well of fresh water. But when the shepherds from Gerar came and claimed the spring, this is our water, they said, and they argued over it with Isaac's herdsmen. So Isaac named that well Esek, which means argument. Isaac's men then dug another well. So you're tracking with these? So they left that well. They didn't have to. It wasn't fair. It wasn't right. It was taken from them. It belonged to them. But they're, right, they're walking in the Sermon on the Mount even though it hasn't been preached yet. Isaac's men then dug another well, but again there was a dispute over it. So Isaac named it Sitna, which means hostility. Abandoning that one, Isaac moved on and dug another well. This time there was no dispute over it, so Isaac named the place Rehoboth, which means open space. For he said, at last the Lord has created enough space for us to prosper in this land. So this is what I felt like God spoke to me. That, that there's somebody here who this story speaks to your church journey. That you have come here because you've left a place where there has been argument or hostility and it's not been your fault. And, and it's unfair because you're not the person that should have had to leave, but you did because you're a person of character. Sometimes in our experience in churches, there's, there's tension or there's argument or there's hostility. And sometimes it feels as though the people who are doing all the things wrong, they're the ones that get to stay. And then you leave, and then all of a sudden you feel this sense of this isn't right. And then you go to the next church, church and the same thing happens all over again. Now, you might be here, maybe this has happened to you once, or you might be here, and this has happened to you many times. The number of times that it happens in the story isn't important. Does that make sense? Is that I think God's speaking to you about something about your experience. And then this is what I felt like God spoke to me. I felt like God spoke to me that the City Life Church is supposed to be your Rehoboth. I want to be careful about saying that because what I wanted to say, and I wrestled with God on this a little bit, 
You know, because it, if, it can feel a little bit manipulative when the pastor says that. So what I wanted to say was, God, how about we say that city life could be your Rehoboth? And God said, how about I'll be God and you do what I tell you to do? <laughs> All right? So I'm just giving it to you the way he gave it to me. You've got to decide whether it's for you. But I feel like God is saying to somebody here, this church is supposed to be your Rehoboth. It is an open space for you. And it's a place where you can prosper. It's a place where you can flourish again in your spiritual life. It's a place where you can begin to thrive. Now with that promise, I believe comes a caution. Because I also see this in, in pastoral ministry. What happens in people is that if you come from a place of hostility and a place of argument, especially if that happens multiple times, you come into the next church, even if it's supposed to be your Rehoboth, even if it's supposed to be your open place, your open space, you come braced for another fight. So you know I'm into shooting sports. And when I started with shooting sports, you know, I had a lot of people helping me along the way. And one of the things they talked to me about, I've used this metaphor before, I think it was last year, you, you, de you develop something called a flinch. A, a flinch is you're anticipating the recoil of the weapon going off, whether it's a rifle or whether it's a, it's a handgun, right? And, and how you know that you have a flinch is that if, if you're doing training the way you're supposed to do, and so, say in your magazine, you've got what's called a snap cap or a dummy round that your, your friend loads it so you don't know where it's going to be. And when you pull the trigger, the gun doesn't go off because of the dummy round and you go like this, right? Because your body is anticipating the recoil and you don't know it when the gun goes off because your body's moving around from the recoil. If you don't deal with that flinch, it's going to destroy your accuracy as a shooter. So you've got, to get, you've got to get your flinch out of your body, so you, and that comes through training, it comes through practice. I'm sharing that with you because some of you have a relational flinch. You're anticipating the recoil of hostility, and it causes you to miss out on relationships that God wants you to connect with. I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm giving it to you the way he gave it to me. And so I'm sharing that with you tonight because God doesn't want you to go from one well of argument and hostility to another. This beauty of this well is such a metaphor for the life of God all throughout Scripture. You need a well. I need a well. We need a well that we can go to, that we can trust, that we know is going to refresh us and revive us. It is a powerful picture of the Holy Spirit, and it is also both a powerful picture of the church, I believe, in God's Word. You need, an op you need a Rehoboth. And if that's you tonight, I'm just going to pray into it, and then we're going to come back to it at the end. But I, I, just, I want you to feel the refreshing that comes from the well of the water that you're supposed to have. Father, I, just, I pray for whoever that is for tonight, God. I pray for whoever that's for tonight. That we know, God, that they are thirsty. And, and, for, and, and for some of them here tonight, they might be suspicious They've, they're, they're, they're bra they've braced themselves for another argument. And we pray, Father, that they would find here the Rehoboth that we are, the open space that we are, the open place that we are, the place of refreshing, the, pl the place of, of, of healing, that the church family that, that, that you have destined them to be a part of, that they are going to find the relationships here that you have dreamed for them to drink deep from, from the foundations of the earth. And let it be, oh God, that they would not move past the well where they're supposed to stay. 
That, 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 Father, in their character from not turning the other cheek before, that in their character from not leaving at past times, God, that this time that they would understand that you have called them to a place to put down roots, to put down those roots deep, and that even when tension comes, that the Rehoboth of the house is big enough to restore and to reconcile and to forgive, and relationships can move forward. In Jesus' name, come on and everybody said together, amen. All right. You know what I think we should do? Going back to what I was saying, I think we should do a contest for this fast that we're on. What do you think about that? Let's do this. Let's do this. Jenna's laughing already, right? Now, you have to actually be fasting to participate. Can we just make that as a rule, right? And so we're going to be testing your blood sugar before every service. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So, so let's do this. Let's do this because one of the other pictures I posted this week as I was in Harris Teeter getting some soup and some marinated mushrooms, right? And the whole time I'm scooping that tomato biscuit into my bowl, I'm thinking, please God, let there be no heavy whipping cream, right, in this soup because it's a bisque. But I did not read the label because I was going to eat that soup and I wanted to do it in good conscience. So, so, but as I was passing through, as I was passing through, one of my favorite things in the entire world is the pretzel bread at Harris Teeter. Have you had the pretzel bread? Oh, good God, it's delicious, right? So I took a picture, put it on Instagram, and said, this is one of my questions I have when I get to heaven. Daniel, when you were in Babylon, you could have eaten at least one of these loaves. And then the Daniel fast could be fruits, vegetables, and pretzel bread, right? But it wasn't. So let's do this. Let's do a contest that, that through the fast, through the anniversary service, put at City Life VA, hashtag PF contest for Pastor Fred, PF contest. That's how we'll be able to keep track of it. Something related to your fast, we'll pick a winner. I won't do any giveaways for the rest of this month, and I'll take that money, put it together, and we'll do a $50 gift card to Outback. How about that? I know. Some of you don't know what Instagram is, and you're not going to listen to the rest of what I'm saying tonight because you heard $50 gift card to Outback, and you're going to be watching a YouTube video on how to open an Instagram for the rest of the time of my sermon, aren't you? All right. Are you ready? At City Life VA, hashtag PF contest, and we'll pick a winner and we'll do it at the anniversary service. All right. Here we go. Fasting. Although we're not really talking about fasting, but anyways, that's where we're going to get to. Matthew 16, 27. For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. Let me read that again. For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and will judge all people according to their deeds. I've underlined two parts because I want to focus in on them a little bit. One is this idea of all people, because I think this verse messes around a lot of times with various people's doctrines of grace. And one of the things that we do a lot here at church, we talk about that because we want there to be clarity on what we believe the Bible says about that. And people, I think, misunderstand that once you make a vow of devotion to Christ, there are some judgments that you're not going to endure, but there's still other judgments that you and I will still have to go through. He says he's going to judge all people, and it says according to their deeds. So let's start with all people. Now, I'm not going to read all of these, but for my note takers, people that like to dig around a little bit, I'm, going to, I'm throwing in the top two. I'm going to read the third one. But Romans 14, 10, 2 Corinthians 5, 10, both talk about judgments that we're going to have to endure as devoted followers of Christ. 1 Corinthians 3, listen to this, 11 through 15. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold and silver and jewels and wood or hay or, or straw. 
He's talking about building the church, and so these are metaphors that he's using. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. I believe there's going to be rewards in heaven. But if the work is burned up, listen to this, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved. This is the doctrine of grace. If you've made a vow of devotion to Christ and you were sincere in that vow of devotion, heaven is promised to you. That's what this, I believe this text is about. The builder will be saved, right? But like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. All of us are going to have to give an account for the lives that we have lived. If you've made a vow of devotion to Christ, heaven is promised to all of us. We're we're in. But once we're in, I believe that our lives are going to be judged. We're going to have to give an account for how we live, what we did with our life. The Bible talks about having to give an account for every word that we have spoken. I believe, as this text says, there's going to be rewards that are meted out according to the life that we live. We're going to be in heaven. We're going to be in. We're going to be in. But there's going to be judgments that we're going to have to face. And he paints a powerful picture that some people, that you're going to make it in as though barely escaping the flames. I remember when I was a volunteer youth leader at the, at the church that we came from when I first started going there as a, as a young person, and we were having a bunch of people over at our house for a cookout. I was still living with my parents at the time, and, and we were grilling out, and so I had the grill set up, and as you know, I joke, I don't do any cooking. I don't even do any grilling at our house. I, I'm a consumer when it comes to the food, and, and so I'm, I'm going to set the grill up, and so I've turned it on, and the, the automatic igniter won't, won't work, so I'm pushing the button, pushing the button, pushing the button, so it's like, I'll just go in and get some wooden matches. Well, I made the rookie mistake. You're supposed to turn the gas off, right? You turn it off when you go back into the house. I did not turn it off. And so, and you can't see it, right? It's invisible. So I go back in, I get the wooden match and I'm standing there at the grill. And so when I, as soon as I strike that match, right? Whoosh, right? My eyebrows were gone, my eyelashes, all the hair on my right arm because I, I kind of went like that, right? And so I had to like, and I had to tell that story a million times because people are looking at you like, what, what happened to you, Right? barely escaping the flames. That's what God says. We we can laugh about a grill. It's not going to be funny in the end. It's not going to be funny in the end. I'm telling you, we're going to make it in if we've made a vow of devotion to Jesus, but I don't want to look a little charred those first thousand years because I just barely got there. All of us are going to be judged for the lives that we have lived. Now let's talk about this word deeds. So what Jesus says is that he's going to judge all people, and, 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 and then that should cause us to say, I want to know. Right? If, if you're in school and there's going to be a test, you want to know what you're going to be tested for so you can study for the right things. You tracking with me? And so Jesus says, I'm going to judge you. Now he could have stopped there, but he didn't stop there. He said, I'm going to judge you, and you're going to be judged according to your deeds. And that should cause us to say, huh, let's learn about what that is because I want to be ready for the test when it comes. So this word deeds in the Greek is the word praxis. It's one of my favorite Greek words, P-R-A-X-I-S, praxis. And it's translated oftentimes in the Bible as the word action. It's translated deeds. It's translated function. It's translated practices. And it's also translated works. 
It means a doing or a mode of acting that is ongoing. That's an important connotation that goes with this word. I'm gonna talk about that in just a minute. It can also mean wickedness or wicked doing. So see, it's a generic word that finds its meaning in the context, right? So praxis, it can be good. Praxis can be bad. Those deeds can be Christ-honoring or those deeds can be Wicked, does that make sense? There's a context that this word has to find. But one of the things that makes this word unique, because there's all kinds of words in the Greek that are translated practice or actions, this one means ongoing. This one means that it characterizes who you are. We believe in what's called the plenary inspiration of the Bible, that God even picked the words that he wanted used. All of it is inspired. It wasn't just some linguist who's trying to figure out, I wonder which word I'm supposed to use. No, no, God says, no, we're gonna use this word because that one over there is gonna mean something different, but we're gonna use praxis here because I want people to understand, I judge you based on how you're characterized. Now this parenting class that Vanessa's getting ready to teach that we've taught here every year since we've been here growing kids God's way, if you, if you have young kids and even if you have older kids and you've never taken a parenting class, you should take this class, right? We joke with people, when you, were, you, you, when you got married or, or even if you're not married, if you're a single parent, it's for you, right? But biologically, you have what you need to create the children. You're not born with the knowledge to raise them. And Vanessa and I both came from great families. And I remember at the church that we were then on staff at, there at Mechanicsville Christian Center, and, and we had had Derek in, in, in 2000. They taught this parenting class every year. And Vanessa and I just decided we're, we don't need to take this class because we, we really know what we need to do because we grew up in really good families and we turned out okay. So we're just gonna you know, do what our parents did. And so, but we, but we felt like, you know, I'm on staff. I should set a good example, right? And so we, we went, we took the class. We left there weeping and gnashing of teeth, right? <laughs> We are, we are doing everything wrong, right? So I'm sharing that with you. Even if you think you know what you're doing, you should take this class just to see, just to see. And one of the things they teach as a parent is that you've got a discipline based on characterizations. Everybody has a bad day. Kids can even have good days. The question is, what characterizes them? And my discipline and my affirmation needs to focus on the characterization. If you are a manager, if you are a leader of people, you've got to learn to respond to people based on what characterizes them, not the exceptions. The devil is the master of the exception. He's the master of the exception, right? If, if five years ago on the way home from work, you saw a homeless person and you went through the drive-through and got a value meal for them and you did a U-turn and went back and gave it to them, the devil likes to talk to you about that all the time, doesn't he? You don't, you don't need to do that stuff anymore, right? Because your, your moments of nobility, he likes for you to treat that like a bucket list. Whoop, did that one, moving on, right? No, 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 that, that, that kind of compassion should characterize who we are as the followers of Christ. And it's not, just, it's not just this idea of exceptions with moments of nobility. It's, it's this idea of the exception for our failures. We make mistakes, right? And the devil's always reminding us of the mistakes that we have made and heaping shame on us again. And even if, come on, you're the nicest person in the world, but there was that one time 15 years ago when you lost your temper, right? You still feel guilty about it today because the devil he deals in exceptions. God deals in characterizations. He deals in characterizations. Genesis 26, 5. Oh, I like this verse. Here we go. 
Genesis 26, 5. Listen to this. Now, this is God speaking to Isaac, again, kind of in this, in this area here when, with the, uh, what was happening with Abimelech. Listen to what he says. I will do this. He makes a promise to Isaac. Hey, it doesn't matter. You, don't, you can go wherever you're going to go. You, you can live wherever because my covenant's going to follow you. You track it? The, the, the blessing of God is on, on Isaac. It's not geographic specific. You can go wherever you're going to go. I will do this because Abraham, listen to what God says about Abraham. I will do this because Abraham listened to me and obeyed all my requirements, my commands, decrees, and instructions. Listen to what God says again about Abraham. All my requirements, commands, decrees, and instructions. Now either God is confused or he's lying, right? Or the angels didn't update his hard drive. You tracking with me? Because I've read the life of Abraham and he made some mistakes. Is it just me? So, so, so this tells me, this is, this is important for us. God sees us for what characterizes us, not the exceptions. Listen, Abraham took his wife's servant took his destiny into his own hands, his own hands, had a baby Ishmael with Hagar. The consequences of that decision is still playing out with geopolitics in the world today. It was a big mistake. Two different occasions, Abraham comes into a foreign country. Is this your wife? No, it's my sister. You can have her. I'm just saying, I think that's a big mistake. So I'm on a missions trip to Haiti. Vanessa and I say, Marvin, we're going to build a bridge with you, right? And so through Port-au-Prince, typically you get pulled over because the police there, part of how they make their money is with, with bribes. It's just, it's, it's part of Christian missions. You have to, you have to, you have to, you have to do some, pay some bribes, but it, God judges us based on our characterization, not the exceptions. So, right, so I want you to imagine that we're in Port-au-Prince and we're trying to get out to the area. We're going to build the bridge and they pull us over. They get us all out of the car. We, they, they take our passports. They walk up to me and say, Mr. Michaud, they say it right because they speak French there. Mr. Michaud, I, I see that you and this, this, this woman have the same last name. Are you married? No, no, she's my sister. In fact, you can have her. You should just take her with you, Right? Who, who here does that, right? That's not part of our mission's training, right? And who would do that? How many of you would say, it's really, it's really not that big of a deal. He only did it once. He only did it once. Yeah, I would talk about the cow. I'd be sleeping in the crawl space of our house for the rest of my life, right? I wouldn't even get a real light bulb to keep me warm. She'd give me a fluorescent, right? One of the ones that don't even generate any heat. Good God, is this thing going to produce any heat? Right? We read these stories in the Bible like they didn't happen. We read these stories in the Bible like they're, they're, they're made. This is real stuff and real people. Can you imagine if you did that? And what does God say about Abraham? All of my decrees he obeyed. He was such a man of righteousness, such a man of faith. Sarah's going, raising her hand in the background. <laughs> Hello? She's even dead now. She's coming up out of the grave to complain about the characterization of her husband. God loves us with such a big love. 
Is he going to judge us? Yes. Are we going to have to be accountable for our lives? Yes. But he's looking at the praxis. He's looking at the characterizations. Those momentary lapses of judgment where we did great things. The momentary lapses of judgments where we did bad things. God says, no, no, no. I'm, I'm looking for who were you day in and day out? How did you live your life? Praxis. Matthew 25. Just for the record, honey, I would never do that. Never do that. Matthew 25. Again, the kingdom of heaven, I'm going to start reading in 14. I'm not going to read all these verses for sake of time, so I'm going to read a little bit, and then I'm going to skip over to verse 24. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them. While he was gone, he gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. Then he left on his trip. Verse 24, jumping way down. Then the servant, right, because the first one had five, he invested it, he had more to give. The one at two invested it, had more to give. Gets to the third servant. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, harvesting crops that you didn't plant and gathering crops that you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops that I did not plant and gathered crops I did not cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant, give it to the one who has 10 bags of silver, and to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's a serious phrase. Jesus only uses that when he's referring to hell. This, this parable is not just about stewardship. Is it about stewardship? You better believe it is. But, but teachings in Scripture, texts in Scripture have layers of truth that are in there. And oftentimes, the most prominent, the most dominant teaching tends to eclipse and overshadow so many other parts of the truth. We just settle in and say, oh, this is a parable about stewardship. Maybe as you're reading through the Bible in the year, you just skip over it because you've heard it so many times, but I'm telling you, there's layers of truth to be found. Is it a parable about stewardship? It is, but it's more than that. See, see, this idea of, of the master, he was going away, and even though each person was given things according to their abilities means that God had different expectations of them. And even though they did different things, there's this idea of the uniqueness to your destiny and to my destiny. There is one thing they were all asked to do. They were all asked to imitate the master. How they, what they did, it varied. But all of them had the same expectation that was placed upon them. I'm going to be gone. You need to be my ambassador in my absence. I'm going to be leaving. I need you to say what I would say. I need you to 
do what I would do. I need you to go where I would go. It's a parable about stewardship, but I believe it's also a parable about what all of us are expected to do as devoted followers of Christ, is that all of us, even though we have different destinies, even though there's different works that we've got to put our hands to, even though all of us have different potentials and different abilities, we believe in all of those things, all of us really have the same ultimate command that we're given when we make a vow of devotion to Christ. Jesus says, go and imitate me in my world. Be me in my absence. I think that's why the third servant got in so much trouble because he mischaracterized the master to his world. He got into trouble. I think that's why the text takes this interesting turn. It it seems, why, why does it go into this big dialogue about who he thought the master was? I think this is why. I think Jesus is teaching us something here. I think he's saying, hey, you need to understand who I am so you can represent me well in this world. He mischaracterized the master, and it got him into a lot of trouble. Now, for this one in particular, he gets into even more trouble. It's, a, I believe, the connecting text here to understand it. We interpret the Bible in the light of itself as Matthew 7. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus literally says, there are going to be people at the end who say, Lord, Lord, but he's going to say, get away from me, I never knew you. Right? Jesus is talking there about pretenders, people who pretend to be Christians, people who maybe they, 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 they said the things that people wanted, them, but in their heart, they never gave their heart to Jesus. Now, we don't know who those people are. That's not, I don't believe, for us to decide. I think you can get into a lot of trouble with that. I just wrote a blog about that this week. You, we can get into trouble. We're not going to be that. We're going to teach the condition, but we're not going to judge the person. But there will be people in the end, and Jesus is going to say to them, I, I did not know you. You were, you, were, you were a pretender, and I think that's what happened in Matthew 25, and that's why I believe it wasn't just for him about stewardship. It was about him, about pretending to be someone and that he wasn't. The parables of Jesus are prophetic. Are you with me? It's not just to teach us a lesson. This is real. Jesus rose from the dead. He has gone back to the heavens to prepare a new heaven and a new earth, the Bible teaches us, and that one day he's going to come back. Is he present? Sure he is. He's present through the Holy Spirit, but there is this idea of him being gone, and one day he's going to return. And when he comes back, he's going to look at you, and he's going to look at me, and he's going to say, show me your praxis. How did you live your life? And did you look like me when you were doing it? Whether we are of the generation of his second coming or whether we breathe our last and we go to be where he is, all of us are gonna have to stand before him and give an account for our lives. And what he's looking for ultimately, I think has very little to do with how much we produced by way of the bags of silver, I think really what he's looking for is somebody who looks like him. If we're not careful as a church, we can get so focused on what we're supposed to do. Now, are we supposed to do some things? You better believe we're supposed to do some things. That's part of the story too. But if what we do is at the expense of who we're supposed to become, the doing doesn't matter a whole lot to Jesus anymore. He says, I'm gonna go, and while I'm gone, I want you to learn how to imitate me. Know my character and let that character come alive inside of you, which is all part of the the reason why we take so seriously this journey of discipleship in our church. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up, which we're going to go into next week. I just wanted to set it up for you tonight. 
But this is, this is my big idea that we're going to be digging around for a few weeks, except for the anniversary service. If I give myself to the praxis of imitating Christ, the day of my judgment will be one of hope and not despair. If I give myself to the praxis of imitating Christ, the day of my judgment will be one of hope and not despair. How many of you, when you were growing up, your mom said to you, go to your room until your father gets home? Even now, as I say it, I shudder on the inside. It frightens me as a 47, almost 48-year-old man, right? We, we are in the room of our existence. And Jesus, he's going to come home. And, and I want that to be a day that I'm looking forward to, not arrogantly, but with humility, I want to be excited about that day because I know that I labored to live well to look like my Savior. You know what would have been nice, right? I hope my mom's not listening to this podcast. If she had said one day after maybe I had a really good day, I want you to go to your room until your father gets home, right? And then coming out, you're coming out to this big celebration because you did so good. Maybe we should add that to our parenting class, right? Right? I, I want that to be my, my anticipation to the judgment that I'm going to face. I want to be hopeful about it. Are there going to be mistakes? Sure, there's going to be mistakes, but I want those mistakes to be my exceptions. I want to be what characterizes me is the character of Christ. I want to look like him in this world that I now live. We are all going to face it. Are you going to be ready when you get there? I think that's one of the greatest privileges that we have as a church is to roll up our sleeves together and say, let's help each other look more like him when that day comes. So I'm going to invite you to stand and we're going to do a couple of songs together here. We've got about 10 minutes on purpose at the end of the service. This is what I, this is what I want us to do tonight. I, I want us to take that message and I, I want us to just push the pause button on that because we're going to pick back up with that at the uh, ne next weekend. But what I want to do in these next 10 minutes that we have together, I want to go back to how we, we, we started with talking about this idea of wells. This idea of wells. And, and for some of you, maybe you've had a, a rough journey with churches in your past and, and maybe you've been a part of the City Life Church for a long time, but those memories, they, they, they still hurt more than they should. You tracking with me? Sometimes memories of our past, they still hurt in our present more than they're supposed to. So I'm, this is gonna take some courage. This is gonna take some courage, but I'm just saying, as we sing these couple of songs together tonight, if you're, if you're here tonight, and you would say, Fred, when you were talking about those wells, something was just coming alive inside of me. Maybe not the part about whether or not you're supposed to be a part of the church. I'm, just, I'm, I'm getting away from that part of the word here just for because this, this is about you experiencing healing in your heart. If, if, if you're here tonight and you would say, Fred, I'm just, I'm gonna be honest with you. I've, I've had some wells in my past and, and, and it's, it's painful to think that I've had to leave what, what I felt like I should not have had to, to lay down. And if that's you tonight, as we sing, I'm just gonna invite you to find a quiet place at this altar. I'm not gonna ask you to do anything else. I'm not gonna ask you to do anything else. Just saying, you come and find a place here in the presence of your heavenly Father and let him dig a new well for you a Rehoboth, an open space. Father, let it be that tonight that healing would come to people's hearts. 
Let it be tonight that the pain of their yesterday, that the memory of what was is not going to go away, God. But, but in, the, in the same way, God, that those Philistines came behind the Isaac and his people and filled up wells, God, that, that let it be that, that those wells, that they would just, you're filling those up, the wells of the past, that you're just filling those things up. And you're going to create a new well, one that's going to overflow with living water. If you're here tonight, I'm telling you, you know who you are. Do not let this moment pass you by. As we sing, you come. You find this place in the presence of God, and you let him touch your heart. A river of living water from the fountain never will run dry. It's an open heaven you're releasing. And we will never be denied. Cause life got a river of living water from a fountain that never will run dry. This is only heaven, you're Stirring up deep, deep wells Stirring up deep, deep waters We're gonna dance in the wind Yeah, yeah. Stirring up deep, deep wells Stirring up deep, deep waters We're gonna jump in the wind Cause I've got a river Somebody get to the river now. It's an open air. We will never be. There's a river here. I've got a river. I've got a river. Water, a fountain that never will run. Be refreshed in the river tonight. It's an open heaven. It's an open heaven. You're releasing, and we will never be denied. Cause it's stirring up wells. Cause it's stirring up deep, deep wells. It's stirring up deep, deep waters. We're gonna dance in the Stirring up deep, deep wells Stirring up deep, deep waters We're gonna jump in the river Jump, cause we're stirring